Hello, everyone, and welcome to Griplock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, and joined, as always, by Trevor, and we're in our new studio. We are. Ish. Um, it's not quite finished. It's not quite done being built out. Um, the things that are missing right now is there's going to be a TV behind my right shoulder and this wall behind me. We, we've got to figure out a color for this. So right off the bat, you watching or if you're if you're listening, I guess you don't really need to vote on color because that doesn't change your experience. But if you're watching, comment down below what color should this wall behind me be. And once we have a color picked and painted, then we will um, then we'll hang the TV. But, yes. Uh, until that happens, no TV. So this uh, this week's podcast, we have not a ton of big tournament news, um, but we do have some big news sure. to talk through. So we'll, we'll just start off running through a little bit of the results. Um, there's basically two kind of decently sized tournaments that we saw some pros at. The first being Arizona States. Uh, the biggest two names there were Adam Hammes and Anthony Barella. And they found themselves in a little bit of a shootout. Yeah, pretty interesting. I was just kind of following it on Adam Hammes's uh, Instagram because he was just posting like after each round like where they were and I was like you know just kept seeing it kind of go back and forth and I was like well this is really exciting and then you know it ended and Hamas ended up losing he had the lead going into the final round they're both shooting like really hot rounds um it was kind of a birdie or die courses that they were playing yeah, it seemed at. like at least yeah, based on the scores and the ratings. But uh, Braille ended up coming back winning, and I was like, that, that looked really exciting. Like, where's the coverage? Nobody filmed it. So, mm. Yeah, I think uh, Hammers had like a two-stroke lead. Yeah. Is what it looked he like. Lost and then, by four? Yeah, Barella beat him by six the final or round. Or six, No, yeah. he beat him by six, but he, so he oh, lost by yeah, four yeah, overall. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing was the Silver Series event in the main state championships, mm-hmm. which we saw Double G. Garrett Gurthy kind Double of G. tear up a, not a stacked field, but... A notable players, field. yeah. You know, I believe there was a three-way tie for second between Terry Roethlisberger, Simon Lazat, and Thomas Gilbert, and Double G beat them all by seven. It's impressive. That's very impressive. impressive. Yeah. On the FPO side, we had Sarah Hokum taking it down over Jessica Weiss, and then Courtney Cannon coming in third. Um, Two straight wins for Hokum. Yeah, and I believe Ricky played in like the Down East Players Cup or something. Um, I didn't pull up his results, but I'm pretty sure I saw where he posted that he won. Oh, yeah. I um, saw that. So players were, were kind of all, all over the place. They yeah. were all spread out this week. There was a few players at that one that Ricky was at because I saw Raven was there and he had posted about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I saw Paige and Yuli and Jerm posting from USDGC courses. Right. Uh, so they're already there practicing right now. Wild. Um, which they, they probably won't stay there. I don't know if Paige is planning on going to Jonesboro, which isn't this weekend, but next weekend. If she's planning on traveling out there. Um, doesn't need to based on how many points she has. Yeah, so she might not be. But I'm sure Ricky and Jerm and Yuli will be. So Probably, they yeah. you know, they might have just taken this week off to kind of just get down to Charlotte area, play USDGC a little bit, and play Winthrop, uh, get used to the course. You can never have too much practice on Winthrop. Yeah, it's true. I don't think... I'd be shocked if they had the rope set up this early. I don't know. I mean, it takes... They, I think they put a lot into setting that event up as far as... Um, now, I don't know what they're doing because, like, I was there for the Dean's Cup last year and there's a whole lot of, like, tents and spectator areas and, like, um, obviously they do a lot in the pro shop and things like that, but yeah. none of that, there's no spectators, so no. they don't have to cater to any of that, so I think the setup would probably be easier. And maybe that means they were able to get the ropes up earlier. I don't know. I, I was trying to think. I didn't see in their Instagram pictures, I didn't really see any ropes, I don't think. Uh, there's not. So. My thing is, like, I mean, there's a few holds that you could practice, certainly practice without ropes, but I don't even know if I'd want to practice without ropes. 
Yeah, I mean, the baskets are all in the positions they'll be in. It's, yeah. It looked like, so I guess you can kind Some of... Some holes are you, pretty you much know, the same. You know where the ropes are going to be. Right. So you can kind of practice. Yeah, and, and I mean, know. some holes, like, you, you can only really land in one spot. The island hole is always the island hole, for example. Yeah. But then there's others that are, like, very much... They're a lot harder to picture. Yeah, regardless, I mean, they're just taking it serious. It's the only major of the year. Yeah. Um, we'll talk it's about that. One. It's basically like Worlds. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that more so a little bit later in this episode. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the players were basically just all spread out. So uh, there could be a lot of tournaments that I missed that had notable players there or notable players at some of the tournaments that I just talked about and that I missed. But it seemed like players are kind of all over the place this week. So nothing too specific as far as tournament results. But we did have some tour news on a few different fronts. Um, so the first and most, uh, the first one that came out came out a few days ago is the pro tour and the national tour schedule has been announced for 2021 Mm -hmm. um the pro tour schedule seems pretty similar to what we saw pre-covid 2020 um with the addition of of the preserve and the replacement of memorial um with the las vegas challenge right so the preserve i don't believe was originally on the schedule for 2020 but due to covid they tried to squeeze another event in and got it in there yeah um and then they kept it around for 2021 um but as far as everything else goes, the only other real change was dropping the memorial, replacing it with the Las Vegas Challenge. Yeah. Uh, and then the national tour side, um, I looked over it. It was hard to remember what the national tour schedule was this year. Uh, Beaver State Fling was on there. Music City Open is on there. Um, there's a lot. Of, there was a lot that just weren't very exciting. Yeah. So the national tour still has six events. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. So how it all broke down is basically there's going to be 11 Pro Tour events. Or is it 12 now? I think it's 12. I believe it's 12 Pro Tour events. 12, 6, and 4. Six national tours and four total majors. But that includes the USWDGC, which is FPO only, and the USDGC, which is MPO only. Really, it's like three. Yeah, so there's three that everyone can compete in. Because FPO can play in MPO. MPO is mixed Pro Open, not male Pro Open. But... MPO can't play in FPO. So right. there's three that everyone can play in, but USDGC you do have to qualify for. It's true. Um, I don't know what their plan is as far as 2021. Um, in the past, we've seen like Paige, Cat, Juliana Corver, different players like that get into the USDGC. Um, I don't know if that's something they're going to keep going forward or if they're going to keep this women's national championship that they brought up this year. I mean, if I was Paige, like... I would almost always want to try and get into the USTGC. Yeah. I think it looks good. I mean, why not? Yeah, it's fun to like be able to do that because she's good enough too. So. Yeah, so that's... uh, This actually... I didn't write this down at all, but we did see something this past weekend or this past week that... I don't know if you heard much about it, but I want to get your take. Basically, it was with Brody Smith and the PDGA Radio. And on PDGA Radio, they were talking about... The, the, the topic that was brought up is, will Paige reach 1,000 before Brody? Right. And that led into them talking, and I think that the some of the things they said wasn't exactly what they meant, if that makes sense. Like, the way it came out sounded different than what they meant, because um, basically, the female host for PJ Radio, I believe her name Sarah, was saying, she was just directly comparing Paige as the top pro in an FPO to Paul as the top pro in MPO, and saying like 980 rated, 1050 rated, like they're almost the same. So they were almost saying like Brody would need to get, I think they said like 1030 is what they eventually said. Brody would need to get like 1030 rated to equal page at 1000 rated. So 
No. I want to get your take on this. Are ratings different for FPO and MPO? Or is 980, 980? Well, yes and no. Because no in the sense that if Paige was playing... Like, let's say she played all MPO events. Like, I think she would still be rated the same. Yeah. But on the same... In the same note, I think being... She might be higher, a little bit higher, because I think... In MPO, because the field has higher ratings, the ratings are inherently higher. Yeah. So Paige, for example, because she's honestly, other than a few people, she's really a lot higher rated than everybody else in the field. So she has to set the bar for where the ratings go in the FPO. Um, so like, especially if she's finishing below people that are like 940, 950 rated, that's trouble for your rating. Mm. So she has to kind of blow out the field to get over 1,000 rated. So in that sense, it is a little bit harder, but I don't agree with the statement that like her 980 is the same as Paul's 1050. And like with the thing, with, I I mean, I think Brody will get to a thousand rated because of the fact that um, I feel like the ceiling, like on the, if he's playing on the tour, there's so many high rated guys that it won't be super hard for him to get to there. But I don't think that's because like, there's an imbalance like i don't think it's because like an equivalent in a women's rating is the same as like there might be some kind of imbalance but it's not as drastic as that statement made yeah it sound and that's what steve hill eventually said yeah uh, especially on twitter it's very kind of confusing on on the podcast you know it kind of ended with sarah saying a thousand rated in fpo is not the same as a thousand rated mpo which again i don't think that if you take that as literal like yeah. straight up, I don't think that's what she was saying. I think she's saying it's harder. It might be harder to reach a thousand rated FPO. Is it harder to reach an MPO? Like it's easier to reach a thousand rated right. MPO. Right. I think, and I think it's like because I think that's a division statement, not like a male women's statement. Exactly. Because like a woman, like Paige, could go play in the mixed pro open, and she could probably get to a thousand rated quicker. So I think it's more of a statement about the division. Because yeah. there's lower rated players in that division, than necessarily be like I a, think a girl versus guy thing. Because that's what. You know, I saw this on Disc Golf Debate Group. I saw it in all kinds of things on Facebook, too. And one person made a good point of, like, if the MPO and FPO play the same layout the same day, their ratings are the same. Right. Because it's... Then they're all playing the same course. They're all playing the same layout. Now the FPO has access to all the same properties. Oh, that's true, yeah. So their ratings don't change. Yeah. But what we've seen a lot at recent Pro Tour events and other events is they play different layouts that are suited more towards FPO you know, play style, you know, a little yeah. bit shorter, more technical, stuff like that. So th- on that side, I could see the argument of the possibility that because of the field, if they're playing a different layout, it might be harder to shoot that. But to be honest with you, the, the ratings have so many little ins and outs that... Right. And like, let's just say that, let's just agree that ratings are relative and that like, let's just like in my mind... Like right now, 990 is like the top of ratings in the women's game. That's just how I perceive it. Like it's relative. Like in my mind, 990 in, in the FPO is like the 1050 of the MPO because that's the top of the I think the rating. that's what Sarah was saying. Right. Is like Paige is the best woman's player we've ever seen and she's 980 rated, 984 or 5, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Um, and Paul is the best MPO player we've seen and, you know, his ceiling was like 1060. Right. And like Paige is still at the ceiling whereas Paul's dropped down like 1056 right now. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's more where Sarah was coming from. That side makes sense. If you want to make the direct argument of, you know, a FPO rating because they're playing a different layout com- directly compared to MPO rating, if the argument would have been like a 10 point 
or 15 points, you know, like saying a thousand to a thousand ten or a thousand fifteen, then maybe, you know, but but yeah. saying a thousand to a thousand thirty, I don't really think that that's. I don't really think that's true. Like, if you put Paige in the USDGC field, which is that's the whole reason this came to my mind, I feel like she's going to finish around the 980 to 990 rated right. pros that are playing USDGC. Yeah. I feel like that's about where, like, because I feel like the, the ratings as far as direct correlation and translation would be pretty accurate and pretty yeah. similar. Um, but at the same time, to answer the question that the first person asked of will Brody or Paige reach 1,000 rated first, I think Brody will simply because there's less history Mm -hmm. so Paige has all of this background where she might be waiting for 940s and 950s to drop from last year Mm -hmm. where she was lower rated whereas Brody has this year so each round Brody shoots above a thousand means a lot more towards his rating than Paige's does because there's less history Mm -hmm. um is that just my mind and not actually how ratings work possibly but i feel like that's true i know they only take a certain amount and like the most recent eight or double counted um and stuff like that right but well i've noticed that because like when i would when i would have like big breaks off of playing and then come back into a season where i'm playing a few events like if i would play well in those events my rating would jump a ton yeah because those events get fact counted in double yeah so that's where I don't know the the ratings. We we might need to do like a deep dive into the ratings one day, because I've <laughs> I've researched it multiple times before, and I feel like I have a good grasp. I think you could write an equation the size of that wall and still not understand it. But yeah, there's just certain parts of it that like. I'd love to see like the exact equation and just every single stipulation that goes into it, and see if I can wrap my brain around. I mean, it. they they've put that out a little bit, but the thing to me is there's like, stuff we don't know at the basic core. The ratings is based on the person that shows up to the course that day. That's that the basic core. There's these propagators that play the course that day that determines the round rating. So to me, that's where the FPO and MPO field might have a little bit different when they're, it's the same as like MA1 and MPO are going to have different if they play different layouts. Yeah. Because like if I shot, let's just, I saw the example on Facebook. I think it's great. If I shot a five down and Paige beats me with a six down, my rating and her rating are going to be worse than if I shot a five down and Paul beats me with a six down. Even if it's the same course, same day, whatever. Yeah, it's because it has to do with the players. Yeah, so right. that's where that's where the biggest confusion comes in because I think well, once also, the field is the, full enough, yeah. it balances itself out. It right. makes it work. It makes sense. Right, because the other argument you were mentioned earlier was like if two 1,000 rated guys go to a course, um, the winning player is always going to shoot 1,000 rated if it's just those two. Yeah, you should shoot above 1,000. Or, ab- or above, the, there, yeah. In theory at least again like i don't fully understand ratings but i feel like i have a better grasp than an average player it definitely has more to do with the player than the course yes it's from what i understand it has nothing to do with the course right it's yeah. just the players that played the course that day one thing i would like to know is our previous players on that layout factored in so from, like let's say that past like, tournaments yeah so yeah, like let's say that, that as well i don't from what i've seen that's a no but i don't know that for sure because like let's yeah. say that paul went out and played Venhorse, right he shoots that. Next year, we have the same tournament, but Paul's not there. Is Paul's rounds and what he shot factored in at all? I don't think so. Yeah, it'd be sick if it was. Because <laughs> then that's where the course, I think, could start to get a rating. Is like, you know, Paul right. shoots this. Now, a 980 player shot the same thing as Paul. That needs to bring this rating down. It, you have a long history at this course on using the same layout. Maybe that's not realistic. Maybe it is. I don't know. But... I do think that that would be interesting is because like in theory, if you had two, a thousand rated players, thousand rated players, you, you're one of them. I'm the other, you shoot four down. I shoot even 
the two down should be a thousand rated. So you should be like ten twenty. I should be like nine eighty. Yeah. And our rounds average to be a thousand. Yeah. In theory, from what I've understood. So that's why I feel like when you expand upon that and you have an MPO field that has fifty plus rate, fifty plus players, a thousand rated and higher. In theory, again, that should make their average rating for a round go up. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the FPO side, when the highest rated player is nine eighty, and your average rating of the field might be like what 930 940 probably somewhere in there i feel like in that field from that standpoint yeah it might be harder to shoot a thousand rated round that's why when we see an fpo player shoot like a 1037 like we did recently that's like insanely good Mm -hmm. so like how how i feel like comparing that to an mpo field is like comparing apples to oranges almost it's very hard to do and i don't really know the answer i sure don't yeah we we need someone i i someone to explain it because i mean i've even heard the guy that came up with the ratings explain stuff and i just think that it goes way above my head because i'm like but either my mind's illogical or that just doesn't make sense yeah but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about (laughs) um so back to the pro tour schedule like like i said one of the biggest things that we saw was memorial's gone memorial's Mm -hmm. gone from the nt and the pro tour schedule and it's been replaced by the Las Vegas Challenge. Which another interesting talking point is the memorials presented by Discraft and the Las Vegas Challenge is presented by Innova. Am I right? Yes. So that's interesting. Not only is it the event getting snubbed, it's one manufacturer's event getting snubbed. Well, I mean, last year, last year, the Las Vegas Challenge was nothing, right? It was just an A tier. It wasn't an NT or a Pro Tour, I don't think. Wasn't an NT? I feel like it wasn't. Pretty I could much be, everybody was there, weren't they? A maybe lot of players maybe, were there. Maybe just because it was like one of the first big events of the season. Yeah, so that's what I'm wondering. So um, when it comes to Memorial, Ultra World put out an article that basically interviewed Jeff Spring and interviewed the TD to kind of get two sides to this story. Um, and, and one thing before we get into that is this is the first time since there's been a tour, since the national tour started in 2003, this is the first time that Memorial, the Memorial has not been a part of either the national tour or the pro tour. Yeah. So that's a big thing for disc golf because we've talked about before the importance of history behind events. Right, right. And like how that kind of, like that's why the USDGC is so elusive is like the history behind it. Yeah. Losing it from a tour, for whatever reason it may be, um, I don't know how I feel. Yeah, there's like part of me that's a little like sad to see it go because like there's a lot of nostalgia surrounding that event you know it's been obviously it's been around forever you just like you just mentioned so there is that part of it but i think it's just a case of you know courses that have just been outgrown Mm -hmm. you know fountain hills is a beautiful course but it's too easy so i think that's just what what's happened but in the same breath i'm a little curious some i there's there's something going on because if it were just birdie or die disc golf that the pro tour didn't want, then the preserve wouldn't be on the schedule either, which it is. So I don't think it's just that. Well, I mean the, so the main reason that the, they were citing in this article yeah, well, is the pro tour has said they wanted more control over the venue. Right. That the, then the TD said they were quote unquote, the TD basically said they quote unquote weren't willing to do that basically in reference to closing down the park. So the ultra road article claims that multiple spectators and park goers have been hit by discs. Um, and it basically like the pro tour said we need to close the park and the TD said 
basically the TD's reasoning was like, well, people walking around the park, that's more exposure for disc golf. We're not closing yeah. the park down. Something, something fishy going on here because I don't, I mean, I don't know the tournament director, but to me, like if that's your only reason is not being able to shut down the park, either a, you're not able to shut down the park and you just don't want to feel like that's not like an embarrassing thing. Like just say our parks department, either the the fine they're asking for is outrageous. We can't pay it. Or they just refuse to shut down the park that day. Probably. Why wouldn't that be the article you write? If that's the truth, you would think, I don't know, maybe it's an ego thing, but like, it just seems odd to me that that's the reason. Like, I, I feel like... I, that does seem... It seems odd to me as well. I think I, I it's just, more likely that the players just expressed that the course was getting too boring and repetitive. Maybe even more so than than easy, it's just boring and repetitive. And they were like... They well, were I mean, kind we, of all in agreement that yeah. they were done with it. And the Pro Tour kind of... They have their ear to the situation with the players always. I believe the Pro Tour might even have a Facebook group that's like Pro Tour players where they can... Right. So they know what's going yeah, on. Explain, so they heard that, like that and then they just came up with something. I don't know. But it, it seems a little simple for it, it just is, to be that. It's weird. To, so we, we've seen players, multiple different players, call it like the Heiser Fest, you know, right. stuff like that. Um, and, and players have talked about how it disc golf's outgrown it the technology of the discs stuff like that yeah and then to see the pro tour the pro tour more said we wanted more control over the venue than we were able to have with this event and we decided to go elsewhere that's that whereas it seems like the td was saying like they wanted to close the park or couldn't close the park i'm wondering if there was like some type of redesign that the pro tour wanted that like would make it longer and more involved in the park. And that's why they needed to close the park and the parks. Like we Maybe. can't close. This is way too big of a park. I to mean, close. that course tested already tested the boundaries of that park though. They were, they were always very that's close to, to roads and throwing near generators and like electric transformer boxes. Like it was always a little weird at certain points. Like some holes you'd be like, wow, that's super scenic and cool. And the others are like, all right, we're like really close to houses and it felt a bit forced. Yeah. I'm, like I said, I don't really know. I feel like I'm going to miss it. I feel like they won't. something won't feel right. It's kind of like when the national tour started with the Las Vegas Challenge before the memorial. And like the Las Vegas Challenge mm-hmm. was like the unofficial start of the season, which was basically the official start of the season. Yeah. It, something felt weird. Well, and then the thing is, like, I wouldn't be as upset except for I don't really like the Las Vegas Challenge. I think it's difficult. But it's always super windy, and I can't stand watching windy golf. It's just upsetting to me because I don't like playing in the wind. And then I also think it's just kind of boring. See, that's what... So, what I... I don't mind it. Okay? Some of the holes are weird, too. Some of the holes are, especially that little triple island that hole. That triple island hole makes me want to throw up. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, I get what they were thinking, like risk-reward. But when you're doing it on like a 250-foot hole it's and it's weird. a par four, I don't, I don't really like that, but that's a personal thing. As far as like tournament to tournament, like we're comparing the Las Vegas Challenge to the Memorial. To me, it's not like we really gained anything switching to that. No. Um. So I, I just wish, so I, I just don't feel like the that's the full story. Like there's got to be more. Maybe it is like the Pro Tour. Maybe it is the players had said like we we don't want to play it. Or, maybe maybe but, Discraft dropped it. Well, I mean. I couldn't see that either because Discraft's been a part of it for so long. Yeah. It's like maybe, one of their, well, maybe they're latching onto a different event. Well, I mean, I feel like you could easily find another manufacturer sponsor if that's the case. Like it's the yeah. memorial. It's such a prestigious long time event. I yeah no. I mean, but the the TD did like say he expects, and this was a quote from him: all of the top pros to be there. 
which as I mean, it's just going to be an A tier. We know it's not a national tour or a pro tour. I, I'm sorry I don't say. think that's going to be a realistic expectation. Well, here's the thing: if the players are the ones that, and like we've heard these that the players have talked about the memorial and not really liked it. Like that's that's not just us like guessing. So we we know that. So there's obviously a a good bit of pros who don't like it, so they're not going to go. If they but don't have I, to. I mean, depending on when the timing of it is. You know, there might be some. I, I'm, if I had to guess, I'll say there are probably a couple big name guys that'll go because a they have nostalgia towards the event, or b some of the real big dogs won't go and they think they can grab a win. I would imagine out of the top, like I'll say, fifteen pros out of the top fifteen pros of the world into this year, five of them, five of them show up. Yeah, and then outside of that, you know, below it, if the timing works out, you know, if I'm a uh, Adam Hammes, uh, Anthony Barella, uh, oh, yeah, Colton that, Montgomery. I'm the, going to it. That's the thing is, where is it going to end up on the schedule? Yeah, if it, if it aligns in the schedule. I would assume if he says he expects the top pros to be there, it's not a conflicting weekend with a pro tour or national tour event. And I would imagine it's early enough in well, the year. Well, now that, that they're just a normal A tier, though, like what kind of <laughs> what kind of priority do they get when picking that date? That's the other question. Is PDGA going to be like, we'll still slide you the date you want, or are they going to have to go through the same processes? Well, the PDGA, when you... Else? So they just came out with the A tier request form. Yeah. And you have to put like what tier you run your event at, and they, they give, I don't want to say preference, but like they, they look at the long-standing A tiers and give them kind of like the cream, of, like the pick of the choice. Like yeah. They, 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 the pick of the choice, what the heck am I saying? They give them like the pick of the date. Like if they requested this and doesn't conflict with anything like a pro tour major or whatever, they'll get it. And I feel uh, like that the, the memorial has to be one of, if not the longest top tier events running around yeah. that time of the year that like, I'd be surprised if they didn't get the, the exact pick they wanted. I wonder where they'll get their added cash from if they don't have Discraft. Well, who's, who's to say Discraft doesn't still sponsor it. It's still going to be yeah. a big A tier. But are they going to give as much towards it? Who knows? I mean, we'll never know. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think they have as much added as when they were a pro tour or national tour. But I would expect they have more than your average A tier, because at the end of the day, the memorial is the memorial. Like the memorial is still a big event, and they also claimed—not claimed—they said they're going to have live coverage regardless. So it'll most likely be Smashbox. I would guess. Yeah. I mean, they can say all these things. We'll see. We'll see what happens when it happens. You know. I, I believe them. I mean. Smashbox has done live coverage for events outside of that. And an event like the Memorial where people are so used to it being the kickoff of the season. I, I, I yeah, like still be it definitely still has gas right now because of the fact that people are so used to it. But like as years go on, if it continues on this, like in more new events go into the tour and whatnot, like how long can that last when it's just like, Oh, it's the Memorial. We have to watch it. You know, they might lose those legs after a while, which is a shame because it was a good event for a long time. I always loved watching the Memorial. But I don't know how yeah. long it can last just as an A tier. I could see where staying relevant. I could see where as a player and it might have got repetitive or boring, but as a as a spectator, I always enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I didn't like I, I don't love birdie or die golf. I don't love the idea that you have to be shooting at Fountain Hills like twelve down or more or whatever the, the thing yeah. is. I don't love that idea. But there's just something about seeing Fountain Hills that's like all right, disc golf season's here. Yeah, it definitely has a lot of nostalgia. So it'll also be the question of like, with losing the nostalgia, will will Las Vegas Challenge have the same hype that Memorial does, like going into the season? Just because it's the first event. You think it'll have like the same amount of hype? Yeah. Like, I feel like I won't be as like 
stoked to watch it. You say that now, but like after not watching any disc golf or having any disc golf to watch in a long time, I think we'll be just as excited. That's probably true. I don't know. I just remember. I remember the year that Las Vegas Challenge started it. Yeah, it felt weird. I think Spin because TV the memorial covered still it. existed though. That's true. That's so all. Now true. that it doesn't, things are different because I remember that year too. It was still the Gentlemen's Club Challenge, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, it might have just changed the Las Vegas Challenge. I think they wanted to. They might have had to change it for for the national tour. Maybe. That might have been the year it changed. I can't remember. I mean, it was around that time. Right <laughs> I now. remember as far back as them giving away discs with like strippers on them. So yeah. <laughs> it's come from an interesting past. Yeah. Um, Who? What were they thinking? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it lined up Las Vegas Challenge, but I could see why. I think that's why it changed. Was the national tour was like, if we're gonna do this, you're gonna be on the national tour. We need to rebrand this, right? Because I think they even had a stamp that year that said like "Goodbye, gentlemen." They still had like a stripper on it. Nice. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I'm like 99% positive it did. Very um, someone off. someone could look that up. But uh, one thing that I also found interesting looking at the schedule is a it was still like harmonious between the national tour and the pro tour. No so overlaps. They, yeah, and the end, the layout of where players are expected to be. Right. Kind of starts west coast, comes down to Texas, goes back to the west coast, then goes up, and then kind of comes over, flies out to Europe, comes back to Michigan, does a little circle, goes east coast. And then they're done. So it's very, it's long. I would never do it. But for a touring pro, it's very like yeah. logical. You're yeah. not ever expected to be in California. Then you're going to Texas and you're going right back to California in like days. And the pro tour actually put out a map that showed how many days are in between events and how many miles to, tra- to travel. And nothing looked crazy. Yeah. Like if they were asking you to travel like 200 miles, it was a tournament the next weekend. They're asking you to travel over a thousand miles. You had like fourteen days to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like criminal, like back to back. Like you're gonna hate your life. Well, but, and also, I mean, who knows what it's gonna be like next year? But you have to factor in, like, for instance, when they all went up to Vermont and had to quarantine for a week or two weeks if they were there. So that's another thing they have to consider. That's true. I mean, th- right now they're probably planning this as if there doesn't assuming exist. there's no restrictions. Assuming we'll see, we'll see as the year get close, as the twenty twenty one gets closer. Yeah, hopefully that's hopefully true. that is the case. Yeah, because I mean, a normal tour would be great. Yeah, and I I feel like maybe I'm just an optimist, but I feel like that'll be the case. I feel like we'll. I would hope so. We'll be back to normal. Was Worlds on the? Did they? Yes, Worlds is on there. Okay, it's in Utah again. That's well, right. I say again, it never. Happened, yeah, it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah they they kept it in Utah. Okay. Um, one other thing that wasn't really on there. But I saw Hannah McBeth post about it some is that U.S. Women's is the same week or slash weekend as the Japan Open. Oh. But the, apparently the Japan Open this year isn't even a PDJ sanctioned event. Right. I heard about that. So they're bringing it back, hyping it up a little bit. Such a fascinating event to but watch. But it's not. First off, I don't know if the 150 class and under rule still is. I under sure hope attack. it is. I feel like it's not. I, I feel like I heard somewhere where they de-weaponized because discs above 150 grams or whatever it is is that what it was yeah anything above anything that you threw that was like above 150 grams i believe like the japan government like classified the, as a is weapon like the throwing star rule that's amazing i think i'm do not quote me on that but i'm like 99 sure i never really knew but that's fascinating but it's a shame because that was like the allure of that event because yeah they're in japan but they played on a ball golf course it was watching paul throw these 150 gram rock threes all over the place <laughs> like 
I want to see, like, I always love seeing people's disc selection because a lot of times they go to more overstable discs yeah. and mold. It was fascinating to uh, me. So, yeah, that, that event's coming back. At least that's the current plan. But it's apparently planned on the same weekend as U.S. Women's, which if I'm an FPO player, that's easy. I'm going U.S. Women's all day. Oh, yeah. Uh, PJ Major versus not sanctioned. Right. What might be tough is someone, like, let's say Paul did decide to go to Japan Open then is Hannah staying back to play U.S. Women's or does she go to Japan with Paul? I don't even know if he's planning to play it. I don't know who is, who isn't. I haven't heard much talk about it, to be honest with you, up to this point. I'd want to play. I would want to, but... They have cool spectators there, too. Yeah. That's allowed. Um, And then we obviously saw the European Open coming back. Yes. Uh, so that's going to be great. Um, You Love know, it, it seems like a pretty normal season, but... One thing I feel like is weird is that there's going to be twice as many pro tour events as there is going to be national tour events. The well, national tour, I feel like, normally has like eight events. Yeah, I mean... They foregoed one of the starting events because they normally had the Memorial or Las Vegas Challenge. Right. They let that go. So there's no starting event for them now. The starting event happens at like Texas States, maybe. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Texas States. Um, so that's a few weekends into the, the season is when they're starting. Uh, so that might be where one of one or two of the, the tournaments went. Um, but I do think it's weird to see them cut back to six national tour events. Well, I, I, I wish they would cut back to zero, to be honest with well, you. Well, that's what I was... That's where I was kind of <laughs> poking at is like, I wonder if this is their response of like, we're stepping back tour-wise. Why are we wasting time is the question. So here... Okay. Why are they holding on? Like, what is there? Are they, is it still like we just want to have something or is it like, are we just easing into it? Because I don't necessarily have a problem if it's like, all right, yeah, we are going to roll back and let the Pro Tour take over, but we're still easing into it to make sure the Pro Tour is the product that we want to back. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me, but I don't want it to be because they're just like trying to hold on to everything they can as the PDGA, just wanting to have events still. Well, so I don't have anything against the national tour. Honestly, if they named it something else, it might even like <laughs> the I fact know, that it's not another, even the name. The fact that it's another tour, I think, is what like throws me off. Well, I think so. Like the national tour, a lot of the events, which we're actually like not really seeing some of the events that I was about to talk about, but like a lot of the events have that like prestige and have the history. Like the memorial was one of them. Um, it used to be the Hall of Fame Classic, but that's gone. That was one. Masters of them. Cup is another one that's in there. By yeah, the way, yeah, Masters Cup. Um, is that a major is that a national tour that's a national tour it's a national tour yeah but you know they, they have these events that have like prestige behind them because they have the history right the pro tour doesn't have it's like six years old now five years old Something it doesn't like have the same amount of history it will but the pro tour is like the pro tour has set themselves up to be the more marketable tour and so that's where my conflict of interest is in you know if we're if we're happy with disc golf right now and you know, we want to keep it exactly the way it is and we don't want change. There's nothing wrong with two tours because we can sustain two tours. Players can pick and choose which one they put priority on. Mm -hmm. You know, we're fine with that. The question, the biggest like question mark that comes up in my head is like, if I'm an outside sponsor, is that confusing to look in which, you know, the pro tour is the more marketable one, you know, but if I'm an outside sponsor, I'm like, well, then why is there a national tour pulling these players away some weekends? Right. It is a little confusing. It's like... It's that's my only complaint. Yeah. But if, it, if we can figure that out and like, it's not confusing, if like that's just in my head, then keep both tours. There's nothing... Yeah. Like, what's, what's inherently wrong with having two tours? Well, 
It's like the PDGA, the national tour doesn't seem to be trying to compete with the pro tour. That's the weird thing. It's like they're just kind of existing, but they're like, they're not trying to claim like they're a separate tour that like players should be playing their tour. Like they're kind of cohesive with the pro tour at this point. They seem to be in cahoots with each other. That is kind of confusing because there's no, so it's like they're on the same team. So, so then, then why don't you just absorb? Right. Why don't we just have them all be pro tour events? Like I just, that is the part that like, is it just the PDGA just wanting to hold on to their name on an event? Is that what it is? Or like, I'm just very confused by that. I guess that is, that is true. Like if we're because gonna... there's, if there were, if the PDGA was really trying to go after the pro tour, they would take their most prestigious events and throw them on the same week as the pro tours, weaker events and try to steal players. Yeah. If I was the PDGA and I was trying to go against the pro tour, I would That's true. do exactly that. I would take whatever their, their biggest event, maybe, I mean, what is the biggest national tour? that they have left on that schedule. There's not even any good ones, really. I would, I guess I would, I, you could take worlds and chuck it right on top of a pro tour event, or you could take, I mean, like the Beaver state fling and throw it on top of the preserve or something like that. Yeah. But they haven't done that. So there's that is true. Like why, what's, what's the end goal for both right. the, the pro tour and the national tour. And that doesn't happen by chance either. They had to be talking about that. They had to be putting together their schedule together. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So if we're sitting out in a room, you're the head planner of the national tour and I'm Jeff Springs and we're sitting there planning out both tours and making sure they work together. Why are they, why are they two separate things? Cause we're clearly expecting the players to play it as one tour. Like this yeah. is the 2021 tour season, especially when there's like a point standings in the pro tour and national tour. Oh, that's right. See, they have their own points. They both standing. have their own points. See, that's yeah. That's so there. There it is that's like the whole point of the national tour. And like, I forgot about that. But what, but why, why does that change anything? Why does their points change? Well, I was saying, I was saying if they didn't, then there'd be really no point because then like, we're tracking these points in the pro tour, like week by week. And then all of a sudden there's just like a block, like an event that doesn't seem to matter other than prestige. And even with points, like nobody's, I don't think any of the players seem to be concerned with winning the national tour. When there's only, especially when there's only six events. I mean, last year they did when there was eight events at least. Yeah. But I'm saying like a six event, like, like having a national tour, like I'm the national tour points champion. But like a lot of guys aren't like a lot of guys probably won't go to Texas States, probably won't go to like the Music City Open. Like there's some that guys won't even go to. So like it I gets to the point where it's so weakened as a tour that like I'm missing the point. I do think bit. like if I'm, you know, what's funny is a few years ago we saw Paul preferring the national tour over the pro tour. Yeah. I feel like that's shifted. Like if I feel like if I well, sat I think, down and talked to Paul today and I said, or even Ricky Eagle, anyone at the very, very top of the game, if I said, which tour are you prioritizing this year? They'd probably all say the pro tour. I think it's because the pro tour has just gotten their act together. Yeah. And you know, the, and they're for the players. So I wonder, I mean, it's a very interesting dynamic and it wouldn't surprise me if over the next few years we saw the PDGA kind of pass these reins on and say like, we're officially combining yeah like the national tour and the pro tour officially just combined into the pro tour national tour events are going to stay on the pro tour schedule is now going to be 18 events long which would be fine because i mean that's realistically that's what kind of what we're doing we're saying like this yeah. is the one tour this is the 2021 tour schedule we're dropping them the same day yeah. the same time this There's is all the stops they're literally all working together and flowing it's one tour but you have two separate points races yeah there's like six events that just kind of like are awkwardly in there yeah, that is weird. Now, I would be very, it'd be a very interesting conversation to sit down with the PDGA and just be like, what's your end game? Right. Exactly. That's what like, we Like, if your end know. game is like, 
let's grow the heck out of the national tour. And because when the pro tour and the world tour started, they were all competitive. Right. The world tour was its own thing because it was trying to get more players to Europe and yeah. Finland and stuff like that. But the, the pro tour and the national tour kind of butted heads. It was like, they're both American tours. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're both here right. and the world tour couldn't get the sponsorship it wanted. So it dropped out. And then realistically, I, I would be interested to see what the schedule looked like if COVID hadn't happened in the national tour happened this year. If we had both tours, yeah. both full tours, yeah. what are we looking at in 2021? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because maybe the national tour was still planning on doing their normal thing. And then they saw during this break how much the pro tour was having success and kind of taking over. And they thought probably should dial it back a little bit. I'm also curious with how much they work together. Will national tours be covered live on Disc Golf Network? Yeah, that'll be that'll be fascinating. If it is, then like, really, what are we doing with the tour? <laughs> like, if the live coverage and everything is fed through the Disc Golf Network, which it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I wouldn't the, be shocked. The Disc Golf Network, I feel like I remember when they launched, saying like, this isn't just the home of Disc Golf Pro Tour content. Like, we want this to be the home of Disc Golf live Disc Golf through the future. Mm-hmm. So to kind of set themselves up for that, it wouldn't surprise me to see it on there, but then really what are we doing? Like really why are we having this separate tour race when it's on the same platforms broadcast to the same people with the same players on different weekends, all planned together. It's one tour with two names. It's more than a little bit confusing. Yeah. So, okay. Now that I've talked through it, I am against it. We need to combine. (laughs) All right. I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care. I do care. I think the pro tour seems to have their act together a little bit more when it comes to the tour. I don't think it's actually a big, a huge deal for like this next season. Like it's not super bothering me, but and maybe, it, maybe it is, it a might be the season. Yeah. It might be. Cause like, so I'm saying it's the season after the next one. That'll probably be telling to like, if the pro tour is still like the product that they've sort of proven to be that we want to like throw our chips at, then let's scoot the national tour out of the way and let them be the big dog. Let them steal the show a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think this is a good time to kind of transition topics because we've had the Pro Tour present this product of pay-per-view with the Disc Golf Network. Mm-hmm. No matter how much resistance they've had verbally, they haven't had that much resistance financially because they're kind of killing it. Yeah. People are loving it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the qualities went up. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. So last year we saw USDGC do pay-per-view mm-hmm. um, with their, what was it called? Hole 17 Live? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something along those lines. Um, and I don't remember what it was for the broadcast, like five bucks, 10 it was bucks, five bucks, I think five bucks. So they had five bucks for this broadcast. It was kind of a testing thing. Does this work? It worked great. It mm-hmm. went well. I didn't get to see it much cause I was there live, but from what I understand, the quality was good. Um, you know, the, it gave you more of a golf type feel where you were jumping around cards. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. All in all, it was successful enough. They brought it back. Sure have. Um, With a vengeance and a twist. So let's go ahead. I'm gonna just read these. There's three tier packages this year. Um, and there, I'll read the differences, but there's a $20 tier, a $30 tier and a $40 tier, which technically it's $19.99, $29.99 and $39.99. Um, so the difference is the $20 tier just gets you live coverage and a U.S. disc golf membership, which they've said is exclusive discounts on future productions and merchandise through October of 2021. The $30 one adds post-produced coverage access for 14 days. What happens to that post-produced access after 14 days? 
I don't know. I would imagine it's just released on, I think Central Coast is doing it. Yeah, I was to say, even if you had it, you could r- record it yourself. I would imagine it's just released on that. Yeah. Uh, and then the $40 tier, there's a, it's a limit to 500 but it adds $5 store credit as well as... Uh, it adds $5 store credit as well as um, a commemorative disc. Which, $5 store credit? That's about the dumbest thing. What are you going to get for that? A mini, I guess? I don't know. That's I don't the know dumbest thing ever. I don't really know what the play was there, but well, the 500 commemorative discs. Anytime disc, you do store credit like that, you're, you're just trying to get people into the store to spend more money. So like $5, I guess, but like about $10. You can't buy a disc for $10, really. I mean, maybe a DX one, but like I think 10 is a better amount. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but the, the commemorative disc, realistically, there's only 500 made. People are going to be flipping that for more than 40 bucks. Yeah, that was that tier was the profit tier. If, if you could have got one of those 500, you could make your money back I don't even know more. if they sold out yet. On the website, it looked like it said buy now. Are we going in? I mean, I don't want to flip a disc, so no. You can. It's all, it's all you. I'll, flip it uh, like a I'll probably, I will probably pay the $20 to watch live. And I will take your second account. That's true. They, they did say two <laughs> streaming devices at a time. Okay, um, yeah. And in addition well, to this, we will also see a Disc Golf Network companion stream. So if you pay for Disc Golf Network, there will be some type of coverage. There'll be two yeah. shows at 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. The 1 p.m. will be a women's national championship recap and the u.s dgc preview and then the 5 p.m will be the u.s dgc recap and the next day women national ch- championship preview will also have highlights live look-ins whole 17 coverage interviews expert analysis and plenty of guests is what they said so kind of like a pre and post game show yeah which sounds great but it could be bad we'll see yeah i'm, I'm curious to see how that goes i hope it's good but I don't know. There, it's a lot of things going on. Curious to see how that all flows. There is a lot. So obviously, at this price point, minimum of twenty dollars to watch the USDGC. There has been some pushback, which they probably expected. I mean, anytime you attach a price tag to coverage, you're going to get some. But this yeah. is a pretty significant price tag. Because what is it? Disc Golf Network. How much does that cost again? If you're a PDJ member, it's five bucks a month. Five bucks a month, right? So, four so you're months. paying like five bucks in a, for multiple events, usually. Yeah. Whereas this one, you're going to pay $20. For two events. Two majors. For two majors. But if you want to actually view it afterwards, you got to pay four, $30. $30, yeah. Now, And this whole U.S. golf membership thing, whack. Like, what is that getting me? Merch that's probably below par and then like discounts on future coverage which they haven't even promised that will even exist that is weird i will that's called that's called let's just like think of something we can offer them that we might not actually do but sounds nice that's what that is yeah i don't really understand that but i will okay so crime organized crime the 20 dollars. i think there's two ways to look at this right there's it's a lot of money to ask for two events but at the same time there's no spectators allowed this year yeah so from that perspective there's no spectators allowed they're going to be hurt. Their pockets are hurting a little bit because no one can be there. So when yeah. I went last year, I believe the m- cheapest you could get into the event was $5 a day. There's four days. Mm-hmm. This is the same. 20 bucks. Yep. Um, do I love it? No. Do I hate it? No. I, I feel like it's a, is it a like, more expensive price point than I expected? Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I it's weird because I think the pay-per-view idea I really like. I would have liked to see this more like a twelve ninety-nine dollar, ten ninety-nine. Twenty dollars is steep. Nineteen ninety-nine is pretty steep. Um, but if people will pay it, it's really not <laughs> steep. 
Well, that's what bothers me because yeah, people are going to pay it because they have no choice. And I don't, I mean, it's, I guess it's capitalism, you know, like Innova is sitting back like, yeah, you have no other choice, but to, you know, buy our coverage. There's going to be no other way to watch it. So we can charge. They essentially, because they have, they own everything to this cover. Like they have every bit of power for what coverage gets released to the public. So they can set the price at whatever they want. But $20 is that's, that's pretty, that's pretty bold. It's a little upsetting that I, I, cause I feel like, I feel like it's so unprofessional phone ringing in the middle of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like there had to be some part of their mindset that said that to themselves that like they have no control. Like we can do whatever we want. They were probably all sitting back smiling at each other. Like there is nothing they can do about it. And that's what bothers me. Not even because if this was like during like normal situations where spectators are allowed and everything, I don't know if I'd be as upset, but I feel like they're just really got the reins on this whole situation. And it, and it just bothers me that they're in that spot. It doesn't bother me that much. So, like, I feel like I, people would expect me to be bothered by this more than I am. But to me, it, it all depends on the quality. If I get some yeah. seriously good coverage of different cards, two full majors, the only two majors of the years of the year, and you because know, running USAGC is expensive, very expensive. Because, I mean, think about it. They rent out the campus pretty much. It's not going to be as expensive with no spectators, though. They're not going to have to put as much into it. What, what, are they, what are they missing? What, what big costs do they drop with no spectators being there? They just, I mean, a few I volunteers like, not setting up the pro shop, which think, made them money? Yeah, but I think they did a lot more. I don't know. I just I seemed like there was... When I was there, it seemed like there was a lot catered towards fan experience. But I, I think that all of that was making them more money. Maybe. Like losing all of that. Because I'm not setting up anything for a fan experience if I'm not making money on it. Mm, well, that's debatable. <laughs> I mean, like the pro shop. The pro shop it's, probably made them a killing because they would drop these new things every every. Well, yeah, the, the pro shop, there's no denying me. Pro shop made them a killing. These VIP passes where, you know, they're paying some people. They might not even be paying people. Like, uh, it was uh, Chuck Conley, uh, Spike Heiser, yeah. to I mean, deliver food. The bottom line is I'm not, like, upset. Like, I think paywalls and disc golf, like, are fine because, like, we should make money off of a good product. But A is the product going to be delivered? Because that'll really be what decides whether or not I'm actually mad. But B, $20. Mm. And and three tiers. And the fact that they're putting the the uh, the post-round, like the um, post-produced coverage behind a $10 higher wall. And that's what people want to watch anyways in disc golf right now. More people tend to like favor themselves towards the post-produced. So really... We say twenty dollars. It's really thirty dollars if you want to consume this the way you want to consume it. It's thirty dollars. Thirty dollars in disc golf for coverage. That's like unheard of. That's that's really expensive. That's new territory. And I don't. And also the thing is too, like the USDGC is so much more hyped this year because there's no worlds. USDGC is like the worlds this year. It's like the one big event. Whoever wins the USDGC is going to go down as like 2020's champion. Really, that and the Pro Tour, but like you know, cause there's no world championship. That's how we're going to look at it. Cause I think a lot of times us champions, like I have a little bit more trouble remembering them cause I remember the world champion. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It just, when I hear 20, 30 and $40 for one event, well, two events, but one, you know, whole thing, whole like, and whole weekend. Right. 
I just not not quite not quite there for me. I, I think we got I think that's got to be starting at like ten dollars. I do think it's expensive, and but I but I also know that I don't think that they're doing this just to take advantage of people. I don't think they're doing this just because. You think it's because their pockets are hurting? You think Innova's pockets are hurting? Not necessarily their pockets are hurting, but their pockets compared to what a normal USDGC would bring in. So, like, in order to get this live coverage off the ground, in order to provide players with the type of experience, rent out the campus or whatever they have to do with the campus, provide the USDGC they always provide, deliver on that quality, I think they had to deliver this at a higher price. Is that campus even open? There's a question for you. That is a good question. Is Winthrop even open? I'm sure it is. Ah, there's a lot more schools closed than you'd think. Regardless, Winthrop's not just letting them use it for free. There's no way. It might be easier, though, if it's not open. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. But we have no idea on that. Just a thought. It is a thought, but we have no idea on that. I'm I'm just thinking that in order for Innova to provide the type of quality event that they want to provide and the the amount of volunteers they want to provide, all of that stuff... I think that because I feel like last year paying five bucks mean, probably went towards some of the live coverage because the live coverage, they, unless they're not bringing in fulcrum this year, it, it ain't cheap. You know, we're probably talking five figures or more for this full production. Probably, yeah. So they they have to. We shouldn't have to and necessary. I don't think those are the right words. Innova can afford it. Yes. So Innova could out of their own. And the thing is, the, the thing is, during this COVID, COVID, like nobody's operating on their normal like revenue streams. Nobody is. is. So well, I mean, I think when we just saw Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah, Steve Dodge <laughs> charge money to volunteer for an event. Like people are kind of getting the hang of this. Like we, there are ways to make money that's a little bit more sneaky. And that's what I just get that undertone. If this was during like normal time, I'd be like, oh, those silly gooses charged twenty dollars. Like I'm upset, but I wouldn't be nearly as like hmm. A little bit disappointed. I can see that. I, I'm just trying to think of this from the like logical standpoint of like I'm Innova. I'm sitting down. I'm coming up with this price model. Where's my head at? You know what I mean. And I think that your head's they, the money. That's where it is. Uh, I I just think that they're. I mean, obviously the three tiers is a very common business model of good, better, best. No, yeah, I don't have, have a problem the, with tiering it necessarily. You have the like good it provides you with an okay amount. Then you have the best, which is like, eh. And then the most improved package that you want the majority of the people to pick is the middle one, the better, which is the thirty dollars. Right. One. Well, yeah, the whole highest tier, like with the the disc thing, is so weird because, like, yeah, if you have that tier, you can make your money back. Yeah. So would it have been better? Is everybody just gonna and like let's all collectively boycott like buying those discs? You let's know that <laughs> thing sold. <laughs> By the time this podcast releases, that thing's probably gone. People are like putting those things on eBay before they even get the disc. Ninety dollars. <laughs> We've never seen that before. One out of yeah, one out of <laughs> how much? Like it's five hundred disc run that that valuable? I guess it probably is. It depends on how sick the disc is. That's true. It what was, they? I, I forgot. Man, I read it. they have it on their site. My laptop's so far away. It was like a Shimmer Star or something. Mm. I think it's a premium plastic disc. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I saw some people posting on Facebook like, "Is this going to be a DX AVR?" I'm like, "No." I mean, I have some like USDGC, like USDGC. The one year that they did, um, I remember the one year that you went and brought a whole bunch of stuff back to school. Um, that was back when they started doing like the stamps that had the little end of the logos in the stamps. Yeah, and the foils, the foils like that. It was pretty sick. Yeah. I don't know. I I get the outrage against this because it's so drastic, but I'm coming almost from the other side of like 
in a normal year, I don't think they would do this because I think they would have so many other revenue streams at this event that could help cover the cost of getting us this coverage. Yeah, but in the same breath, if this, if people pay $20, $30, or $40 for it this year, I bet your butt they will charge the same thing during a normal year because they, Maybe. Because they know they can. So they're kind of like setting the bar. But can they on they're like year? they're like ah, sure. If everybody pays it this year, they're gonna think, oh, it's the same as it was last year. I mean, the only reason I'm paying it this year is because I can't go down there. Yeah, but not everybody has the luxury of working in disc golf and just being able to go to an event. Well, I mean, it's also only four hours from us. Right, that's what I'm saying. But like, like I've always went because it's so close. Yeah, but not everybody can do that. No, but I mean, they will. Uh, if it sells well this year, it's like it's almost like they're able. Companies are able to test these pricing models during this like restricted time and get away with it, and then they can just keep them in the non-restricted time. I'm that would be fascinating. That so, would be, that will be interesting to see to see year. how many companies stick to that that are doing things like this. Is, yeah, Steve, is Steve Dodge going to charge money for volunteers? Well, next year? okay, charging money for volunteers, I have more of an issue with because. I don't know. I can see. I it. feel like it's the same thought process, though. But this is less severe and much less criminal because you're you're not getting work from us. Yeah, you're. Yeah, it's it's a lot different. But I feel like there's if, the same underlying. Regardless, thing. though, like the charging money for volunteers. If this is a normal year, there are spectators there. I don't have problem with that. Right. Because then you have a chance to watch the event at a normal price point, and you're choosing to pay more to watch the That's event. True. That's it, true. When you don't have a way to watch it, there's no way you can possibly go, and you have to pay to work, to watch the event for one hole. Yeah. It's still it's still like he just learned that he's able to do that, though. He did. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future that's something we see once everything's reopened, some other TDs implement. When everything's reopened and spectators are there, I don't have a problem with that. $100, yeah. that's a bit steep. But one thing to be mentioned, too, is like if you had volunteered there for two years, you know, if you had previously shown, hey, I'm a good volunteer, you didn't have to pay it. You could just volunteer. Yeah. Something else to mention, but... That's not even relevant to what we're talking about. I do agree 20, 30, 40, pretty expensive, pretty pricey, pretty far up there. I'm indifferent. I will give my opinion more once I see the quality of the coverage. If the coverage doesn't see a big jump coverage to what we're normally be, paying, coverage would be sick. If it doesn't see a big jump production wise, commentary wise, where we're jumping from camera to camera, how many cameras are on the course, if right. that type of stuff doesn't see a big improvement, then we can bring in the discussion of what the heck are they doing? But I mean, at this point in disc golf, I feel like as fans, we need to be like a happy a USDGC is even happening. Sure, be certainly. happy. We get to watch a USDGC. Certainly. Uh, and then see ready to support whatever this may be, because if I'm Innova and I'm charging 20, 30, 40, I know there's going to be backlash yeah. and I'm ready to meet that backlash with a freaking good product that I know is worth 20 30 or 40 dollars only thing i will say that is going to be interesting is that the post-produced coverage nowhere on any of this uscgc stuff have we seen the mention of jomez yeah if you're charging 30 bucks for post-produced nothing against central coast but if i'm charging 30 bucks and like the biggest draw of that tier is post-produced coverage that you can watch the next day yeah nobody's shown us i'm trying to get jomez yeah because jomez is no joke like they're the ones that set the standard for people like Central Coast might have been around longer. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, I don't think anyone's going to disagree that Jomez is the one that revolutionizes the way we view coverage. Yeah. So why they're not there, who the heck knows? You know, was it like a price point that didn't make sense for Innova or was Jomez just like, well, no, our coverage isn't going to be behind a paywall or 
who the heck knows what went on behind the scenes or maybe Jonas is busy that weekend. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Probably not, but maybe. Um, but I did, I did find that kind of interesting is that we, you know, you would expect if you're paying 30 bucks that you're going to get Jomez. That's true. Central Coast is going to be able to put out a killer product and I'm not doubting their abilities at all. It's just, yeah. you would I mean, they're going to have to change their narrative is like from like, wow, that was expensive to like, wow, this is some of the best coverage we've really seen in disc golf. Exactly. And if they're able to do that, no one's upset. If they're not able to do that and we're getting the same thing we're getting on the disc golf network for five bucks a month or worse, more likely or worse. If we're getting, if we're getting equivalent, uh, really, if we're getting slightly better or worse coverage than we're getting on the disc golf network, then there's an issue and they shouldn't do this again. But if, if this 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it is that people end up paying, if they knock it out of the park and, you know, the commentators kill it, everyone kills it, the camera crew knows what they're doing, follows the discs well, and we're able to jump around to so many different holes and get way more coverage than even if we were there watching it in person, I'm all for it. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. All right, we'll talk more about the USDGC as a tournament coming up in a few weeks when we actually do like a USDGC preview of who we expect to win, you know, what the Women's National Championship is going to look like, why the heck is it called a Women's National Championship instead of just moving USWDGC to here. We'll answer all those questions coming up, but some brief foundation news. Uh, if you're not already aware, we did have a, a decent Discraft restock hit the site a few days ago. Um, some of it's a little picked over. But, you know, there's still plenty of discs if you're looking for some different molds. Um, they are on our site. And we're also going to be dropping some new apparel here probably tomorrow by the time yeah. you listen to this. Supreme Flight baseball tees are on site. Lots of, like, pretty much every color we've ever had. And then some new ones. And, yeah, they're super nice. So make sure to check those out. Yeah, and then some of the pocket tees that you've seen us rocking previously. Right. Um, we'll be hitting the site Friday, tomorrow, when they're listening to this. Yes. Yeah, because today's Wednesday, so that always yes. throws me off. But when you're listening to this, tomorrow we'll have some of the pocket tees hitting the site. So if you're interested in those, we have the Foundation, McBeast, and the Brody Smith ones. If you're interested in those, make sure to check the site tomorrow. Um, and don't forget to comment down below, what color am I painting this wall behind me? Because once we do that, then we can mount the TV and take this thing to the next level. If you're listening on Spotify and you still want your opinion to be heard, tweet at us at FoundationDG or Instagram DM us, Foundation Disc Golf, um, and you can make your opinion be heard that way and i believe i covered everything i think so i think that's it thanks guys so much for listening or watching and we will talk to you next week